This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Say love. Love. That's what we're talking about today, love. So um, if you're brand new with us, last Sunday we started this um, series called Reroute. And it's really us asking this question, how do Christians make sense of the world? There's so much going on in the world today. We're confronted with so many different ways of thinking and so on. How do we make sense of the world? And then how do we respond? So in the reroute series, what we're trying to identify are what's called broken signposts. That is, there are things in the world um, that point us in this direction. But as a follower of Jesus, we're to go this, this way. So we're, that's the question we're asking. Which way do we go? How do Christians make sense of the world? Does anybody remember what we talked about last week? Just one word, you get free coffee if you do. Yeah, justice. And it's, the coffee's free anyway. So anyway, grab it on the way out. We talked about justice. And you know, where justice can feel like, man, that's like, that's like maybe cold and, you know, justice, you know, and it's always associated with, with judgment. We talked about that Jesus had come into the world to put things right, or the definition of justice, right, to make things as they should be. So what do we do as followers of Jesus? We point people away from a broken system of justice, and we point them to Jesus who deals with the heart. He has come, and he has come into the world. He has judged the world. He gave us life, and now we point others to him. So where justice can sometimes feel threatening and cold, love, right? It's got all the feels, right? So uh, we love each other. It's got the fuzzy feel and all that, and it's welcoming. That's what we're going to talk about today. What we hear in the world uh, today, or we hear this, and, and, you know, we probably agree with it. We're to love others, right, right, love others, or love everybody, love others. But what does that look like for the follower of Jesus? So Four questions I want to kind of circle around today that we're going to talk about. Number one, how do we navigate love, this thing of love? How do we navigate love others, love everybody as a follower of Jesus? What's it look like? Second question that we're going to wrap around, what does biblical love look like? We have to, that's where we have to center ourselves. What's biblical love look like? In other words, what's the call for the follower of Jesus? What is the example of Jesus that we are to follow? Can you think of any better example than Jesus when it comes to love? No, I can't. No, no. So, and then finally, what we're going to talk about, how do we know we are truly loved? That's what we want to talk about. And although there is uh, basically one word that we use for love, right? The Greeks, as you know, likely know, had multiple words, had four different, different words. So how does, how does that work for you and for me? This one word, love, that kind of serves as a catch-all for, for the relationships that we are in or that Jesus brings us into. And though we long to be loved and to give and to receive love, to be in relationship, we live in a world <clears throat> where this word is sorely distorted and maybe even confusing for some. I mean, some of us have said this. We've looked at this and we go like, if that's what you call love, I don't want anything to do with it at all. That looks broken over there. That's not the love that I think about. So what what can we do? What do we need to do? How are we loved, you and I, you and me, and how are we to love? And to answer that question, I'll say it again, and I've said it in a variety of ways, and I will continue to say it. To answer, you can't answer that question outside of the context of the Bible. We must center our answer on the Bible. True love 
is of God. It's not enough to say, in fact, it's wrong to say that God is a God who loves. He does. But God is love, and there's a difference. He's not just a God who loves. The very nature of who He is is love. He is love, therefore, to understand His design for love and His expression of love to all mankind, we must understand what He says about Himself in the Word. We are not free to define biblical love uh, or to live out love in a way that dishonors God or His Word. Only God can define good and evil. When we talk about love, you and I, no one in the world today, we're not free to go, oh, this is what love looks like. This is what love looks like. We must consider what God says. We are not free to define good and evil. Only God can do that. In fact, listen to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Woe to those who, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God is the definition of, definition of love and all that is good in the world today. We are called as followers of Jesus to walk in his wisdom ways. There's a word for that. Do you know what it is? Shout it out if you know. There's a call that we're to do. We are to obey. Everybody say obey. Our obedience to him reflects our love for him. Just reflect on that for just a moment. And ultimately, our love for all people. We are called to walk in obedience to him. And as we do so, we reflect our love for him and ultimately our love for other people. Now, what does that look like? How are we to love God, and how are we to love others? Dick Brogdon, who has been here, it's been a number of years ago now, identifies what he calls three sacred loves. We're to love Jesus, we're to love people, and we're to love the church. And when he says love the church, he also says this. Sometimes we're better at loving people outside the church than we are people in the church. Think about that. Three sacred loves. Love, love God. Love Jesus, love people, and love the church. Now, how many are familiar with this term bluff? Not I bluff you or I fool you, but bluff, B-L-U-F, bottom line up front. Anybody? Okay, well, see how relevant I am today, right? <laughs> bottom line up front. So I came across that term some, some, uh, some years ago, and so every now and then on a communication that I'm sending out, I'll just put, Bluff. The bottom line up front is this, and then this is how it kind of works out. But Jesus kind of offers us the bottom line up front when he summarizes the Ten Commandments, and it's all about love. Because remember, he brings them down to really, it's all about two things. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest, the great and foremost commandment. And second is what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Bottom line up front, love God, love, love people. It seems so easy, doesn't it? Just love God and love people and everything will be okay. But with that as our foundation, Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments, I want to look at two questions. How are we to love in view of the world's definition of loving others? And how are we loved by the Father? How are we to express our love today, and how are we love? So let's, let's focus on the first question. How are we to love, and how do we love our neighbor as ourself? Now, your neighbor 
is the persons you come in contact with. It's just not your neighbor that lives across the fence or the hedge or whatever it is that you have. certainly includes that person, but your neighbor is whoever you come in contact with in your daily, daily journey. So how are we to love them? How are we to love people? And before we dive into that, we must see the broken call of the world because there is something broken. I use the word distorted when we talk about love in the, in, in the world today. The broken signpost or the direction of the world often calls us to love by affirming those things God calls sin. The broken signpost of the world defines love through a worldview not centered on the Bible. I want to talk about that for just a moment. Because there's, there's often a call in the world today to love those things that Jesus says you stay away from those things. Those things are sin. Now, I know using the word sin is offensive to some. But here's the, here's the reality. I didn't make that word up. Right? You didn't make that word up. Remember last week about the woman caught in adultery, what we talked about? What did Jesus say? I, I mentioned this, that in that event right there, that woman caught in adultery, both, both the religious leaders of the day and Jesus agreed on one thing. There was sin that had happened. And Jesus said, from now on, sin no more. The world calls us to affirm those things, to love those things that God calls sin. Jesus confronted sin as an act of love. I want you to, you're taking notes, write that one down. Jesus confronted sin as an act of love. It's like if you have a child and he or she is about to do something that you know is going to be destructive to their, to their life. Is it loving to pull them away from that or is it loving to just let them go about it? Now, I think I can answer that for every parent, every grandparent here. Every one of us would pull him, would pull her away from the very thing that's going to bring just destruction in their life. Yes, amen? You would do that, or you would not be a loving parent. You would say to them, and perhaps you have, don't go that direction. And maybe it's related to, to your own experience in life. I mean, you went down that road, and you discovered there's only death and destru destruction of some type down here. So you say to your kids, don't do that. I want to point you in this direction over here. That's what a loving parent does. If your child is running to a street and there's heavy traffic, what are you going to do? You are not going to say, hey, you know, please don't do that. Right? You're not going to. What are you going to do? You are going to run after them and you're going to grab them and you're going to stop them and you're going to pull them away from the very thing that would be destructive to them. Yes? You're going to call them away from that. Jesus confronted sin as an act of love. Jesus confronted a man in love in John chapter 3. If you're reading the book of John, and we've encouraged you to do that, you, you'll come across a story of the Pharisee, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. Pharisees were passionate about keeping the letter of the law. This is what you do. You keep the letter of the law. They were often opposed to Jesus, and Nicodemus was one of the leaders. But he comes to Jesus, and perhaps um, out of fear, I, I don't know, out of shame, no one really knows, he comes to him at night. And then there's this discussion going on. Just, just listen to it. I'm going to read it to you. Just a few verses. Rabbi, this is Nicodemus now speaking, 
We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, the ruler, Jewish ruler, says this, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's room and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do you hear what Jesus is doing? He's saying, don't go that way. This is the way you must walk. This is, where you, this is the truth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Look, this is what you must do. You must be born again. There is no other way. There's, right, there's only one other way. That's that way. We point people this way to the truth of the gospel. It says you must be born. Um, you must want and desire a relationship with Jesus, and the only way that you can have a relationship with the Father is through Jesus and to experience brand new life that can only be found in Him. Jesus loved Him by telling Him the truth. Now, let me make a couple statements. Again, if you're following on you version, the notes are there um, in the event. If you need help finding them, see me afterwards. I'm in the lobby. I'll help you out. We demonstrate our love to all mankind, pattern after Jesus, that calls people away from sin and the destruction and points them to life in Jesus. We demonstrate our love to all mankind, pattern after Jesus, that calls people away from sin and destruction and points them to life in Jesus. It's not enough, I don't think, to say, don't do that. We ought to be people, followers of Jesus. Hey, don't do that, but let me introduce you to someone who loves you and will promise you eternal life in him. You can experience brand new birth. Don't go that way. Go this way. That's what we saw with Jesus in the account with Nicodemus. Loving everyone as Jesus did compels us to lovingly confront the sin in the world. Lovingly confront the sin in the world. Will the love we have for others, pattern after Jesus, always be received by others? Do you know the answer to that? The answer is no, not always. Will our following Jesus, will our love for him, will our pointing people in a brand new direction, lovingly, always be received? The answer is no. Listen to John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So welcome to the world. Sometimes as we love Jesus, sometimes as we lovingly confront those things that he does not love, will not always be received well. But here's what we need to do. We need to reroute. We're talking about rerouting our thinking or changing our thinking just a little bit when it comes this morning to love. How are we to love? How are we to love as followers of Jesus? Loving our neighbor as ourselves <clears throat> compels us to love compassionately. It's demonstrated time and time again in the example of Jesus. Loving our neighbors, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving our neighbors 
as ourselves compels us to love compassionately. Now, sometimes we're pretty good at that, but if we're, if we're honest, I guess, with ourselves, we would say, I would say that sometimes the compassion part has maybe lacked a little bit. You don't even have to say amen to that. You don't even have to agree. But sometimes it has. We are compelled to love others in the fashion and form that Jesus has, confronting sin as we do. It's interesting. Last week we talked about the woman caught in adultery. And then we discussed that in our small group. Man, we had this incredible time. I hope you're in a small group. And if you're not, it's not too late. All you have to do is scan that code in front of you or, or, or uh, texting groups to, um, to 360-209-84. You get into a group. In our group last week, it was so cool. I learned so much as we began to share and dive a little bit deeper into the story of the woman caught in adultery. But one thing stood out to me, and it stands out to me in a story I'm going to tell you in in just a moment, is that remember what happened when Jesus confronted sin, right? Confronted the Pharisees, they all walked away, and then left standing there, Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And before Jesus said to her, look, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more, something else Happen or did not happen? And one of the members in our group said, look, it's kind of interesting to me that what did not happen reflects the compassionate love of Jesus. Because what did not happen is this. The woman did not walk away when she had the opportunity to walk away. Just think about it. And I've been thinking about that ever since. There was a moment, there was a time when Look, she had the opportunity to to, to walk away. The others did, but there was something about Jesus that kept her there. That happened again in another story in John chapter 8, the the woman at the well. If you're a Bible reader, maybe you've read that story. If you're brand new to the Bible, John chapter 8. It's a marvelous story where we see the compassionate love of Jesus in action because he, he meets a woman who is an outcast. She's there by herself when normally women would gather water together. It was like this social event. So maybe it's like, you know, like the nearest, maybe we go to coffee together, right? It was a social event. She was there alone because she was an outcast. And if you read down through the story, what you discover is she, she had been married multiple times and, and uh, Jesus confronts that sin. But what's really, really interesting to me in this story is what happened and how the compassionate love of Jesus changed her life. Because after that discourse, here's what happened. She goes back to where she was from and she tells people about the person that she had just met. Now I have this, this thinking and this feel like if, 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 if there, there was something that like, I, I just don't want anything to do with you, the way that you spoke to me, the way that you condemned me. I don't want anything to do with you. The story over here would have been a little bit different, but it wasn't different. She says, look, you have got to come and see this person. You've got to come and meet this person. There is something about Jesus and his compassionate love for others that though he confronted the sin that was in their life, and he did, it still drew them to himself. We're, we're not drawing people to us. We're not that good, right? We're not that good. We're pointing people to Jesus, the only one who can give life and an abundant life that the Bible talks about. Too often, it's easy for us to present truth or even be attacked as we stand for biblical truth and find our responses being less 
than compassionate, and I'll start with myself first. Too often when the attacks or the persecution or however you would frame it comes, it's too easy to respond in a less than compassionate way. Our actions will always betray our love. Loving your neighbor as yourself considers us, calls us to consider how we would like self to be confronted. It's the starting point. So start there. Ask yourself, how would I like to be confronted with something that I'm doing wrong? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we're to love. Secondly, how are we loved? How are we loved? Asking that question likely prompts, could prompt at least a response from the Gospel of John, right? How are you loved? How am I loved? Um, for God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How are you loved? He gave his Son for you. How are you loved? That much, the depth of his love caused him to give his very own, his beloved son for you and for me. But let's widen the lens just a little bit. We come to understand how we are loved and the depth of his love for us when we dive deeper, I think, into this love story that we're presented with in the book of John. As one described it, it, it reaches its arms to what went before and to what comes after. John chapter 13, verse 1, widens the lens just a little bit. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Did you get that? And I've underlined that, and I've highlighted that. He loved them to the end. The Greek literally means this to the goal. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the goal. He completed the task as N.T. Wright describes it. This isn't just about timing. It's about the quality of the action. There was nothing that love could not do, that love did not do, that Jesus did not do. And when we ask the question, how were we loved? He loved us that much. There was nothing else that he could not do for you and for me. He would be betrayed. You read about that, don't you? He would be mocked. Um, he would be denied. He would suffer through an unjust trial and suffer a cruel death on the cross. This is a story that you've been brought into, that I've been brought into. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a story of love that is perfectly lived out. He had come to do the will of the Father, and the task would be completed. He loved his disciples to the end, and by extension, he loves you and me. John chapter 10, right? I am the good shepherd. <clears throat> the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John chapter 15. It's further emphasized in the Gospel of Matthew at the time of, of Jesus', Jesus rest. He says this, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then this part right there. 
Now, I love it. Just think about it for just a moment. Like, ruminate on it, which means like chew the cud a little bit. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Like, don't you think, like, I could end this right now. Jesus knew what he was going to be facing, but his love demanded that he give his life for you and for me. I could do this. I could call 10, you know, 10,000 of angels, 12 legions of them. Don't you think my father would respond to that? But he didn't. How are we loved? More than any of us can imagine, but we can experience. This is why I've said it so often, that I can't intellectually um, explain that love to you. And honestly, I'm not sure that any man can. But we can experience it, can't we? He has loved you and he has loved me. He gave his life for us. This is the love that we point people to. This is a love that grants brand new life. This is a love that grants an eternity with Jesus, away from a broken system in the world today. I can't explain it, but I've experienced it, and so can you. Dr. Seuss says this, you know you're in love when you can't fall asleep because the reality is finally better than your dreams. <laughs> Wisdom from Dr. Seuss, don't you think? You, you know you're in love when you can't fall asleep because the reality is better than your dreams. Psalm 36, verses 5 through 7. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I'd like for you just to take a few moments just to sit with that thought of how much he loves you and how much he, he loves me. And we take that love that we've experienced and we share it compassionately with others. Pointing them away from a failed system in the world, and pointing them to Jesus. His love for you and me compels us to do that. There was a hymn that we're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you in just a moment to stand and honestly to sing it from the very depth. I don't care if you can carry a tune or not. I can't. Now, I'm going to be singing with you. We're going to join with Jason and the others in just a moment, singing about the, the love of God. Um, as I did a little research on this history of, the, of this hymn, just listen to it. The author and composer, Frederick Lamb, was forced into manual labor, at which time the lyrics flowed through his heart, the love of God. He later created two stanzas of this hymn. He, he wrote these words um, from words that were written on the, on the wall of a prison cell. It's not known if the prisoner who was incarcerated, who later died, um, wrote them himself or he copied them from somewhere else. But before the prison guards painted over the words, they copied them down. It was from these words that Layman writes the song, The Love of God, How Rich and Free. How, how deeply are we loved today? Can we do nothing else but to take this love that we have been loved with 
to others in the world today. Let's stand together, shall we? And from the very deep of our heart, man, let's just lift it high to him, the love of God.